What's happening, y'all? This is Ty Wilson with another episode of Elevate Your Game. Today, we have husband, father, <laughs> five-time NBA champion, uh, former coach, or coach, I'd say. He's just a coach, NBA coach, um, Derek Fisher. What's up, coach? <laughs> coach Tadrick? Yes, man. Appreciate you being here today, man. It's, um, we just help try to help the culture of basketball by yeah. giving them... Uh, our life experiences and whatever we do here on Elevate Your Game to help them elevate their game. So um, I know you have a lot for the people, so we'll try to hop into I hope, this bro. and I hope. get it going <laughs> quick. So um, also this is brought to you by Barcode. Yes, okay? no doubt. Let them know Please. a little about Barcode. Um, good stuff to drink <laughs> for athletes and, um, you know, and just active people, right? Like we, we grew up drinking everything that they put in front of us, we never really looked at what was in it, why we should drink it. Um, so without saying anything negative about anybody else's product, <laughs> I'm gonna just focus on the positives of this one, all natural, vegan, no added sugars and all the stuff that makes us old on the inside. Um, so yeah, check it out when you can, please. All right, we'll have the links in the bio to check out <laughs> barcodes, awesome. So the first thing we do on the show, we have the, the wall of hoop movies. What's your favorite or favorites? Yeah. And why? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't go without speaking <laughs> to the greatness of, we have to maybe create a film called Elevate Your Game. I'm with it. Executive produced by <laughs> Ty Wilson, starring Ty Wilson, <laughs> directed by Ty Wilson. Um, now, I think for me, the ones that stand out, I mean, they're all pretty good in their own right. Uh, for the lovers, of course, you got to go loving basketball. That's a great one. Uh, if you're married, you know, you're a lover for sure. <laughs> So that 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 gets a vote. Blue chips for sure gets a vote, my man Shaq and that. But this right here, people, please, the next time you just, you know, chilling, have some time to look it up and check it out. Absolute classic. Semi Pro. Will Farrell, Andre three thousand. The rest is history. The rest is history. Right. <laughs> Jackie Long. Yes, sir. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So um just tell the people along your journey. Now I know coaching was the last thing you did with the WNBA, mm -hmm. um, the Sparks. What was that experience like? And how, uh, we're, we'll start there. How, what was that experience like coaching in the WNBA versus being in the NBA your whole career, coaching in the NBA, and then over to the WNBA? Yeah. Um, well, first, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. We've obviously had a bunch of off the record and off camera conversation. So it's, it's cool to bring it on the record and, and just chop it up this way. Um, yeah, no, coaching in the W was a gift. Um, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about um, coaching different types of athletes, um, you know, after playing in the NBA as long as I did and then transitioning into coaching in the NBA. Um, you think everything looks one way and, and you think that working with players helping players get better, connecting to players um, is a kind of monolithic, there's one way of doing it. And the WNBA really helped me to connect to how differently you have to approach, mm. you know, every player, every situation, uh, every day is different. And I think working with young women and women helped me connect to that more than even working with men. Um, not because men aren't humans, right. but I think, women highlight the importance uh, as a coach of trying your best to connect to who she is, 
what's important to her, important to the player, why are they playing, what are their motivations. Those things are most mm -hmm. important before you can even really coach right. and teach and, and, and the player being open to your coaching and teaching. Um, so there were areas where I failed in, in that and there are areas where I was able to be successful, but I feel like coaching the W accelerated that growth process of, of understanding um, the, the individual relationship with players being so important to team success. Absolutely. And so, and, and coaching in the, like they, the, you know, we hear it all the time that there has to be equality as far as uh, the focus and, and uh, of women's basketball. Mm -hmm. I, I love watching women's basketball because it's fundamentally pure, but also you're starting to see now the athleticism and the female athlete and, and the things that they're capable of doing that I think some some men can't do yeah. on the court. Yeah. And so if you really watch and, and the detail that they play with, it's it's a, a pure basketball experience. And how do we as or not we, but you know, people who are casually involved with basketball start mm -hmm. to enjoy that, start to embrace that more. What what should they be looking for? What should they should be supporting? Um that's a good question, man. I think we, we have a responsibility to the game of basketball to support girls' basketball and women's basketball um, in the same ways we support boys' and men's basketball. doesn't mean that WNBA players are going to make the same money as NBA players. And to be, you know, I think the way I would try to dive into it, it would be for us to stop comparing the two as well. Mm. Yeah. Like anytime we try to compare somebody to somebody else, <laughs> we, we're already wrong we can lose it, yeah. <laughs> because they're, they're two different people. Right. And so the NBA and the WNBA, although they have three of the same letters in their name, completely different, mm. you know, situation. And so comparing the women's game to the men's game, I think that's where we go wrong because then the expectations are that, well, why aren't they this? Mm -hmm. Why isn't this happening? Well, you're comparing it to something that is that's not apples to apples. It's right. literally apples and oranges, completely different. So why are we comparing sense. these things? We should be appreciating them each for what they do. So when you watch women play, appreciate the skill uh, and the and the thought going into what she just did, yeah. because she doesn't maybe have the genetic ability or the guy given ability to just jump over the basket. Right. And make a play like she really has to think about before she jumps. <laughs> yes. What am I going to do? The craftiness. The yeah. Skill set, um, the IQ. Yeah. yeah. So I think not comparing it would, would help. And I think oftentimes when we see something in person, we feel different about virtually how we saw it. You right. know what I mean? Right. Let's like all the Zoom meetings and every even people watching this. If they saw you in person, saw us in person, that conversation is completely different than yeah. them watching us from on camera. Uh, and so I think most people haven't even been to a women's game or a WNBA game or a high level college or even high school game to really see the grace and the athleticism that does exist on the women's side um, on its own right without comparing it to how men move, run, jump, et cetera. But that's a societal thing that we've just conditioned generations before us, mm -hmm. uh, including us, to see the women's game as less than. Yeah. Uh, but I am excited to see the growth and that the generations coming are not going to see it that way. They're, they're just going to see it as women's game, men's game, not more or less, just different. Yeah. 
No, I like that. That gives me a lot of perspective. I've worked with WNBA players and been to games and never thought of from that perspective of it's not the NBA. It right. is its own sport entity and, and, and what it does. And I've understood those things and watching it, but thinking of it that way does give it more of an even playing field, even in my head, you know, yeah. because yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. when you're around both NBA players and you're seeing this high level of athleticism and all these other things, and then basketball doesn't change, the skill set doesn't change when you're working with a male or a female. And so that gives me perspective. So thank you yeah, for that. No so doubt. to leave that comparison. Now do yourself a favor and go to a WNBA game. They're yeah. live all summer. Um, LA, go to Vegas, go see the Aces. Go somewhere and watch a WNBA game. So check it out. Um, that's awesome. Uh, so I like, uh, we're in a generation now. I don't know if you had it so much when you were, you know, I say in college and high school or high, more college and, and in the NBA where um, generationally you're having uh, legacies of NBA players in the NBA. You had mm -hmm. a few probably, you know, but now it seems like everybody's kid is destined to be in the NBA. You know, you having uh, children all across the board that are legacies, um, you know, being here in L.A. and being, uh, you know, around Sierra Canyon with your nephew there and seeing LeBron and all of that. Mm -hmm. Scotty's kid, like you've seen all these people's kids. What's your take on, you know, being a legacy? How do they have their own journey? One. And then two, how do you as a dad now? put them in position to have that chip on their shoulder. Yeah. Right. There's a chip that you had that got to where you were at. And then, you know, NBA kids, they live, they live a little more privileged life because mm -hmm. of the money and the comfort that, you know, you can bring to your home with finances and whatever else it is. What is that chip that you're trying to build with your kids to get them to whatever level they need to get to? Yeah. I mean, I think the first part of, you know, what you were saying about just from a generational perspective, like, you know, it wasn't as possible for our dads and those that came before us, right? They weren't sons of NBA players. Right. right. So they didn't have that to pass on to us, yeah. right? But we got to experience that due to hard work and different combinations of luck and, and everything that has to happen. And so I, I, I think we all take a tremendous amount of pride in trying to pass on our experiences, our wisdom, our successes and failures, like to our children. And it just so happens that it's in basketball because that's what we have the most experience, the most expertise in. Right. Uh, but if I was a career lawyer, I would be passing those things, <laughs> like those right. things along to my children that hopefully would also help them to be able to establish their own lives, their own careers um, and what they want to do. Um, for me, and I can't speak for, you know, the other guys like it as a former NBA player. Um, and if I was a former attorney, just due to my life experiences, I've tried not to make any of our children feel like if they don't make it to the NBA or WNBA or whatever, that like they're going to get different treatment from me or from us and that there's no burden or pressure. My son drew um who's our oldest boy like i you know we we literally decided not to name him their junior because i didn't want him living his life with that burden of okay well your dad is this 
And so before he even walks in the room and they just see his name on the paper, these automatic expectations and assumptions come in right away. I just didn't want him to have that. Um, And so it is a difficult balance trying to maintain both. Um, In terms of that chip, you know, some of it, yes, it, it comes from, you know, more humble beginnings, not being as, as exposed to things. Um, you know, when we were kids, we, you know, I didn't get a pair of $150 tennis shoes until I made it to the league. <laughs> I, I didn't grow up wearing them, you know, since I was seven. Right. So, you know, so that, yes, their life experiences are different and that is going to lessen that chip kind of on their shoulder that comes from just not having much and, 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 and also not having much for yourself, but seeing the opportunity to provide more for your family and your loved ones and the people around you. They don't feel that pressure to do something for me that I can't already do for myself. Right, right. So that also kind of lessens that chip, but ultimately- Quick question, yeah. did you feel that for your parents, like that, hey, if I do this basketball thing right, I'm, I could be able to help provide for my family, like your parents. Did you have that feeling? Yeah, I think there was a point. I, initially for me, I didn't, I wasn't a guy that was destined to be there, right? I'm mm-hmm. still not six, seven, I'm 48 <laughs> years old. So I, it's not so like- So you I don't was, keep growing. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't keep growing. Um, so I wasn't really destined for this life, but there was a point once it started to, come into focus that, oh man, like there's a possibility that I could get drafted and the things that then come with that, that's when that light started to go on. They're like, oh man, like, okay. It, it clicked for me once I was actually in. Mm. Before that, every ounce of energy was on just getting in. And I couldn't even think about what it would mean to the family and to this. It was literally like every ounce of energy was like, I think if I focus 100% on this, I can get there. And then whatever comes with that, mm. like I'll figure that out once I'm in. That's a little different now, I feel like. Yeah. I, I feel that a lot of young athletes and just people in general want the things that come with making it to the thing. And not actually though. And it's not really yeah. about just the thing. The main thing is I want to be a great basketball player want to be a great artist, want to be a great whatever. But it's almost because of the lifestyle that comes with it that that's the motivation. And that's where I feel like the soul of basketball, the soul of sports, the soul of certain industries is being kind of bottomed out because it's more about the things that come with making it than it is just the privilege of making it. Yes. Now that, that, Man, you hit it on the nose. I have nothing to say. <laughs> that, that's on the money. That's good. Um, now, as far as development, so you being in the NBA, and I think the game has changed a little bit since mm-hmm. you were in there, but then you became a coach of the game and seeing that transformation. How do you take what you learn from there as a coach? And then when you do have the opportunity to you know, watch film or teach the boys um, and your daughters, is there something is there something that you focus on uh within the game that say hey this is what you need to focus on if you really want to be successful with the game yeah no that's a great question because like you said because the game has changed so much um you know we we were taught 
you know, over dribbling was a sin, literally. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, um, coaches that I played for, you know, if you dribble more than three or four times, you're still in the same place. You might just get a, a whistle and get kicked out of practice, period. Like, why are you dribbling so much? You're still in the same spot. Um, and so the game has really changed in that way where if you cannot handle the basketball with, with, with confidence, poise, composure, um, sometimes in the same spot, but sometimes being able to take the basketball to different spots, make plays for yourself, but also be able to read and make passes to make your teammates better. It's a difficult game, even at the younger stages, you know, Mm-hmm. beginning levels, intermediate levels, middle school. If you can't dribble, yep. it's tough. And dribbling is different than handling. So I even I'll say even if you cannot handle the basketball. What's the difference between dribbling and handling? Everybody can dribble, right? <laughs> like we can go pick somebody from anywhere around the world that's watching this and they can dribble the basketball like that. Right. We just tell them to pound it and just stay. <laughs> that's dribbling. Mm-hmm. But handling the basketball, that's different. That's the string aspect. Yes. Right. Like I'm handling the basketball. I'm mm-hmm. telling the basketball what to do and where to go. Yes. Those are two different things. Yes. And if you can't handle it, it's a different game. You're going to struggle. So it's 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 kind of challenging sometimes for a, a person that grew up being taught differently. Yes. I think what developing and working with players now, my kids and others, um, it's a reminder that we have to stay in this really growth learning mindset. Yes. Mm-hmm. No matter what, doesn't matter how many years I play, who I play with, whatever. Like, if I am not growing and learning and stretching and evolving as a person, as a coach, like, I'm, I'm done. Right. Um. So it doesn't matter whether I think dribbling is this or that. Mm-hmm. It it really just matters what am I imparting on to this player that's going to help them to be successful and connect to like why they love the game. Um. So that's what I try to keep in mind. Like I don't, I try not to get frustrated with young players doing things now that I wouldn't do right. or that I wasn't taught to do, like, cause it's different. Um, and that's what I try to tell my kids. Like, look, you don't need me or a gym to be a great ball handler. Right. But that is the one thing that if you can't do it now, you're going to be on the bench mm-hmm. because the coach and your teammates won't be able to trust you in the different basketball situations you're going to come across, regardless of position. Yes. Um, so that's the skill that for me super jumps out is the ball handling piece. No, I love that. I, I I love the way you broke that down and I'm going to send this to all them old timers who keep on saying, stop (laughs) dribbling the ball. Why do you have to do all that? Is because the handle for us or for me at least, right. Was watching M1 mixtapes and Mm -hmm. learning those moves. But in the process of that, I learned footwork. I learned craftiness. I learned the details that allowed me to manipulate the game how I how I do yeah. with the ball. There was nobody there who could teach me to be a point guard. Mm-hmm. There was nobody telling me the, the actual thought process, but my skill set was there to do it. And then so when I learned that stuff when I went to college and you know just being around the game, it all clicked. And yeah. I was a late bloomer because of it. But that handle is what got me there. Yeah, it, like I could just handle and I could finish. Like I could just jump high. My yeah. shot was iffy my defense was solid but i think it's important to understand that trainers and developers we do drills to create handle mm-hmm. not to just dribble and yeah. i hear a lot of people all they all you need is a feel for the ball and 
Yeah, that's true. You need to know how to, you know, how the ball feels and have good flow, but you also need to know how to manipulate the ball. The word that you use, yeah. manipulate that ball to put it where you need to put it on the court. And yeah, because so- I, I just I don't think young players, especially, will have enough success and fun at the early stages of playing if if they can't really handle the ball well. Man, the creativity because the the you can press you know, in the fifth grade, sixth grade or whatever. And if you can't handle it, it's just going to be frustrating. The other team's going to take it. You know, the coach won't trust you enough to put you out there. And so the the, the finer points and the micro skills of like shooting and footwork and angles and timing, like those are lifetime developmental pieces yes. that'll never stop. But if you if you can develop, and this is just my opinion and our opinion, if at earlier ages you can develop a really strong foundation of being able to handle the basketball, yep. that all, that's a good core piece um, to then being able to add those other skills along the way. And then quickly, which we don't have to get into, I, I do think more athletes have to be in better overall condition, yeah. you know, just in terms of their, not just even strength and conditioning, but when we were younger, we were athletes, playing different sports. Mm-hmm. You know, we played baseball, football, kickball, whatever. And we rode our bikes. Yeah, and we rode our miles. bikes everywhere. We <laughs> yeah. like it. And so there was an athleticism to just how we moved because of how much we moved outside of just the sport. Yeah. And what I've seen there are a lot of young people, girls and boys that really love playing basketball, but other than practice or the game, they don't do any other real consistent athletic things that would allow them to be more successful when they play basketball. doesn't mean you have to play five sports, uh, but if you're not going to play and be a multi-sport athlete, then you do need to, you know, go out to the field, go to the football field, go to the track, jog around the neighborhood, push-ups and sit-ups, just things that make your body more athletic so that then when a coach is trying to teach you a particular skill, like your body can actually execute that movement. (laughs) But if your body can't even move in the way that the coach is trying to teach you, it's not really that the coach can't coach or teach. Right. Like your body just isn't able to do that thing very well. And I, I, I hate to see young people suffer in terms of their enjoyment of the sport, just not being athletic enough. And that's not just how you're born. Like you can right. develop that just through some additional work. And I, we, we got to figure out a way to encourage as we're specializing in our training more, yep. how do we encourage young people to find healthy ways to like train their body yep. so that when they show up to the specialized training session, they like, can do, they, they can, can actually, execute. They can actually do the things you try to teach. Yeah. Now I'm a big believer in multi-sport athletes until eighth grade, at least eighth grade. Yeah. And even beyond if you can handle the commitment that it takes nowadays mm-hmm. with being so specialized. But the the multi-sport athletes are the ones who excel you, yeah. you see it once they get to high school and they might be late bloomers skills wise mm-hmm. but because of their all the skills that you you know in soccer you're getting your peripheral vision yeah you know uh in football you're getting that acceleration that speed and tracking track and field same thing there's so many things you could hand-eye coordination with baseball yeah. all that stuff applies to basketball the more you practice it the more yeah. you work on it so yeah. i think that's important for multi-sport athletes and and uh then also overuse injuries happen. And right. That's why we see these kids with torn ACLs at 18 so much now because of the overuse injuries. Mm-hmm. And you think you got to grind all day at the 
balance. It's right. all about the balance and focused workouts and those kinds of things. So no, that's that's awesome. So get your handle right, get your conditioning up, yeah. and and uh, that'll take you a long way. Yeah. Um, so the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> Almost, yeah. almost history was almost made. Boston came up short. Miami, let me say this: Boston had come up short. Miami delivered. Yeah. Um, yep. The goods. Yeah, yeah. First and, team to four. They, and it's that's what Jimmy Butler said in the interview after the game. He was like, "We have four more games to win." It's like, man, they're four games away from a championship. What you, you know, being in final series over and over and long stretches of playoffs, what? What is that experience like mentally going to seven games? Um, what's the most that you guys were down in a series? Uh, I mean, yeah, we've, you know, in the years that we won titles, mm -hmm. yeah, we, we weren't down very much. I mean, from, you know, 3-2. Um, yeah, most of the titles, fortunately for us, you know, we, we had home court advantage or we were able to, get home court advantage like early in the series mm -hmm. um you know we struggled in some of the series where we were down early you know if you're down oh mm two -hmm. um you know i've been on three teams that were down oh two and came back to still win the series yeah um so it, it kind of runs the range of experiences um it is it's not easy to do what boston did right by coming back and forcing the game seven i think they were only the third or fourth team to have ever even done that in basketball. But then it's also not easy to do what Miami did. Right. And lose those three games and then still have the mental toughness and fortitude um, to go on the road and, and win a game seven to go to the finals. So I, in a weird way, I think both teams deserve a lot of credit. There's obviously no more victories at, at that level, um, but it was a really, really interesting and intriguing series to watch, bro. Like yeah. to see the highs and lows of it, man. <laughs> um, it so it, to, it's exhausting, basically, mm -hmm. you know, to mentally and physically to grind out win after win to advance round after round. Mm -hmm. um, it is exhausting. So it'll be interesting to see as the Heat advance. Yeah. You know what's left in the tank as that final series goes from game one to game two, you know, and then games three and four and beyond um, because of just how much energy it takes. You know, they made an Eastern Conference finals run last year and lost in game seven to the Celtics right. to go to the finals. Right. So it's not as though they haven't played a lot of basketball in the last couple of years, mm -hmm. whereas the Nuggets are, you know, this team that, uh, you know, they made it to the Western Conference finals in the bubble in 2020. And then I can't remember like 21, how they finished, but I think that's when Second Jamal round. Murray uh -huh. had the injury. Yeah. So, so then, and then last year, second round. second round. So they're the literally fresher, you know, team that uh, is, is coming into this final series, like chomping at the bit. Yeah. But you just, you can't doubt the heat at this point. Right. That, that we, we keep trying to, <laughs> we're all guilty of it. Yeah. But when you think about, you know, over the last three or four years, like they've been right there mm -hmm. every year. Yep. And so there's no reason to, to, for us not to think that they can compete and get themselves a chance to get another four wins. How difficult is the physical recovery 
from doing a seven game series? Like, are they going to be physically ready? You know, I think mentally is where their strength is. They have the yeah. mental strength to overcome and play with some dog and do all the little things. I think that's their strength. The physical part of it, what what is that like? Recover that three days to recover. Is that long enough? Yeah, I think I think oddly enough, like the teams that when you play in a in a seven game series, uh, your level is still pretty high because of the fact that you were still playing and that every other day no, like kind of rhythm built. So early in the series, in game one, in my opinion, that's Miami's best chance to win mm. in Denver. Uh, because the Nuggets will be coming off for nine days, ten days without playing a game. That makes sense. We'll get into it maybe later. That that's <laughs> my experience in two thousand one. Yeah, where we we pretty much we swept everybody, and then so we had multiple days in between first round, second round, and then conference finals we swept, and then we had basically ten days before the first game of the finals. Mm. That's the game the Sixers won in overtime, and we got off to a good start in that game, but then. The game conditioning, the legs, like the mental and physical energy it takes to win a playoff game, a finals game. We had lost a little bit of that just by having not played a game in 10 days. Mm -hmm. So that's what the Nuggets are going to have to kind of figure out about themselves. The edge for them a, a little is the altitude, though. Yeah. You know, that kind of. Like Miami, you saw the Lakers, will, man, yeah. they was huffing and puffing at halftime. Miami like will have game to, one. <laughs> yeah, like they'll have to adjust to that in the first game, while Denver is going to have to adjust to not having played. Mm -hmm. So even though they're used to the altitude, it's been ten days since they've had to, and it's still out. Yeah, no since they've know. had to really play at a high level. That's so, why Miami left so quick. They said they had a flight booked for right after the game to get to Denver. That makes sense. Now. Yeah, I mean, in that that like. Uh, Gloria and I were talking about that actually in terms of, you know, the game was at 8.30 Eastern. So the game was over around 11 p.m. Eastern. By the time they did media, et cetera, et cetera, I, you know, they could not have taken off out of Boston if they left Monday night prior to 1 a.m. Yeah. Easily, maybe later, 1.30. Mm -hmm. Mountain time zone in Denver, so that's 11.30 four hours or so. So you're talking about landing in Denver at 3.30 a.m. I don't know if they decided to do that yeah, or if they decided to just leave, you know, morning. on Tuesday morning. But it depends on, especially at the professional level, um, there are a lot of performance people mm -hmm. that are involved in those decisions. Yeah, And so there are some performance and data people, science, uh, sports science people that'll say, the sooner you can get into the new time zone, the better. So it's possible that they did leave. And even though they were getting in at 3.30, they could immediately start adjusting to the new time right, zone, right. adjusting to the altitude, et cetera. There are some sports science people right. that'll say, nah, bro, we need to stay in Boston, right. get some sleep, mm -hmm. you know, and then we'll fly out tomorrow morning. We'll get there early Tuesday afternoon. And then we'll still have two days, 48 hours before the start of the game. Just, yeah. So it just depends. Either way, man, I'm just hoping that, like, if you really love basketball, like, that people just still tune in and watch the finals. Oh, you got to. And for the basketball heads, you probably, people probably will. It's more the casual fan that isn't. Just doesn't have a name. To aware live. of who Nikola Jokic really is. Right. 
right? That that doesn't appreciate what Miami Heat's doing with a bunch of guys that weren't even drafted. Right. Jimmy Butler, who isn't always a household name until the playoffs, and mm-hmm. then everybody knows who Jimmy Butler is. But I'm just hoping people still show up and and watch it because uh, from a viewership standpoint, you know, the league's had a great year yeah. in terms of people just tuning in and watching the game. Uh, I think it's been competitive. I think there's a um, there's a a few years ago they used to talk about it too much, like the guys are too much friends on the court, yeah, and that kind of thing. And you've seen the competitiveness pick up a lot, and and the back and forth, especially you know playoff series. That's what it is. Yeah, you know those are the people stopping you from advancing. So you see that competitiveness spike, and in these games, man, you see it—the defense, the physicality. Like the refs can't call everything because it'd be whistles the whole game, and yeah. they're trying to make these judgment calls and all of that. You can, the intensity, I've seen my wife's friend, who I even know like basketball, watches like, she like live tweets about it, and is like into it. I'm like, yeah. is she either trying to get a man or she has to like this hoop stuff, <laughs> one of the two. Yeah. But it, it definitely, is, you could see like, you know, I guess for hoop people, we always feel like basketball is popular and live, yeah. but with, with the statistics back in it now you see that people are like basketball is still growing yeah. which is a crazy thing to think about too yeah um which we'll go back in the day now we'll go to our next segment uh where were you when we're gonna go to june 14th mm. we're gonna go to june 14th year 2000 this is game four yeah of the indiana of the finals, finals you know against indiana pacers Derek Fisher's Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> it wasn't mine just yet. <laughs> uh, there was a moment in that game. So Shaq is out. Yep. Shaq fouled out. Kobe was in his fifth year, sixth year, fifth year? Fifth year. Yeah, I think that was fifth year five. Year, for year five for yeah. him. 97, 98, 99, 2000. That was four, actually. Four. Yeah, 96, 97, 97, 98, 98, 99, 99, 2000. Yeah, so, so it was fourth year. And we we – Started to understand who Kobe was at that point. Yeah. Um, in that game, he hits two key jump shots. Yeah. Where were you when all this was happening? I mean, we all know where you were. Yeah. Like, what was it like? What was that experience like? What did that moment show you about Kobe? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, you know, we we were both drafted in 96. Um, and we had, you know, practices, shoot-arounds, games. Like, I'd seen a little bit of everything from Kobe at that point um, or up to that point. So it it wasn't necessarily things that he would do that surprised me because some of the stuff he did in practice was more <laughs> exciting than what we saw in the game sometimes. But uh, that particular day, like it was, you know, just him coming back from the ankle because he had missed game four. I mean, I'm sorry, game three with the ankle when Jalen Rose, you know, stepped on his foot and he so he missed that game. And he came back in game four, close game, back and forth the whole way. Shaq fouls out, I think, at the end of regulation or right at the start of overtime. And growing up watching the NBA finals and, you know, watching Michael Jordan's greatness and, you know, Magic and Larry Bird and those battles in the 80s, like those were my point of reference in terms of like what the NBA finals looked like. Lakers in the 80s, (laughs) Bulls in the 90s. Right. So, you know, from the bench in overtime, like literally watching Kobe 
like make these shots, but it was more like his reaction to him making the shot that like he wasn't really surprised, mm. you know. And you remember the one where he was like, um, <laughs> "Like I got this, <laughs> we good." And whoever is panicking because Shaq fouled out, like right. I get it, but calm down, we're gonna be okay. And for me, even as you know his brother and teammate at that point. Even for me, I was like, mm. <laughs> okay, I already knew he was different, mm-hmm. but until you do it, yeah. you know, in certain moments, like for me, at least the jury's still out. Like we don't know. Right, right. And that for me at that point was like, okay, this dude's heartbeat's different. Mm-hmm. Like for him to be in his fourth year, barely 21 and a half, maybe 22, Right. you know, to just have that level of confidence and composure and poise about making those shots in those moments that, that started to jump him up in my mind, even, uh, as like, Oh, this won't be the last time this guy (laughs) (laughs) is is doing these things right here. And, And so that, uh, that also was a big motivating factor for like, you know, how I wanted the rest of my career to look after mm-hmm. that year. Cause I came off the bench in the first championship year in 2000. Mm-hmm. And then I started in 01, 02 and then the nine ten championship teams, but it was, it was winning the title in 2000. Everybody's a role player to some degree. Like our roles are different. Some mm-hmm. people have bigger roles. Some people have smaller roles, but like seeing Cole make those plays, um, knowing that I could help the team um, in a healthy way, I just, I wanted more. Yeah. It wasn't me uh, wanting less for my teammates or anybody right. that was on the team, yeah. but it was just me wanting more responsibility. Yeah. Um, and so we, yeah, KG, um, so me, me, Cole and KG, we were on an episode of, uh, the Jamie Foxx show that that summer. I just saw that the other night, actually. We watch it when we're going to bed. Yeah. And, um, and so we, we were talking backstage one of the, the days that we were filming. And I think it'll end up being just me and KG. Cole was somewhere else at the moment, I think. And, and Kevin was like, well, there's like, what else is there? You know, like, been in the league, you know, for four or five years, like playoffs won the championship, like what else is there that you want to, and I remember saying like, like, bro, I, I obviously love the title, um, but I like, I want to be out there in the fourth quarter. Mm. Like I, I want my coach, I want my teammates to feel like, yes, we, we can win, but also like he's a part of us winning. Like I want to be on the floor in the fourth quarter, in the big moments, when the big shots and the big decisions have to be made. Like I really, that's what I want. And I, that was my first experience with learning how speaking things into existence, visualizing your own success. Like that was one of my first experiences with that because that's literally what happened after that conversation. So in an odd way, like, you know, I got to give a guy that, won the championship with the Celtics against us, <laughs> a little bit of credit <laughs> in KG for even just asking that question. Right. Because 
I got a chance to say that out loud. Yep. And I think the work ethic and, and the time that I put into continuing to grow my game was an extension of what I said I wanted for myself. That's awesome. And those things always have to be in alignment. You can't say one thing and not put the work into what it is you're saying. Exactly. And so, yeah, man, it was that June the 14th was a pivotal moment, like seeing Cole take that jump and that becoming a motivating and inspirational moment for me to see what, damn, like I want to be out there with him <laughs> right. when he's doing those things. And then, you know, it's kind of how fortunately a lot of the rest of my career kind of went. No, that's awesome. I, I, that was so moment of truth here. This, this hurts to say, but it's the truth. That was actually the year I started being a Kobe hater. Mm. I liked Kobe when he was a rookie. Uh, I think that's the first year Kobe cut his hair. Am I not mistaken? Or no, it was after that year, huh? When Kobe cut his hair off. When he had a little yeah. baby afro. I think it was yeah. after that year. But the confident and cockiness actually turned me off. Mm. Then, for whatever reason, I thought that you were supposed to be humble and just yeah. quiet. And I didn't, I remember Jordan. You know, I was young enough to remember Jordan and watching the games, but I wasn't paying attention. Right. That was the first year I was I was probably like a sophomore in high school. I'm aging you, sorry. No, but, it's all good. <laughs> and uh, I was a freshman in high school. Yeah. And for whatever reason, that, like, who does he think he is? Like, mm-hmm. Jordan's the man. Like, I'm still thinking like that. And all of my friends, I always like to go the other way. Like, people are doing this, yeah, I'm going to go do that. Yeah. All my friends, oh, Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. I became a Kobe hater for a little bit. And that lasted until the 09 championship mm. because I had to stand I had to stand my ground against my friends because I was a yeah. hater. <laughs> and then, you know, now that I reflect back, I'm like, I really wasn't a Kobe hater. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I know what that was. It was just me mm-hmm. being a kid, being immature. But I just remember that that first championship is when I was like, I kind of was like, I'm not a Lakers fan. I like the Clippers and all that stupid kid stuff and so you know this segment is about where was i and i was there immature in the game of basketball and understanding greatness right and not thank god i still got to experience it growing up in la and all that and uh so that that's where i was in that moment when all that was happening yeah number two is this though and i'm I'm a fanboy you i'm okay with doing this because i'm secure (laughs) with myself is that i believe you were one of the greatest role players ever mm, thank you the bro. way you fit on those laker teams was like yo he's doing exactly you and jordan farmer because i've seen i watched jordan a little bit in high school and yeah. Kyle, all, all at ucla and like man these you guys were so much more capable of doing so doing so much mm-hmm. more but you were so confident and secure and like i know what i'm supposed to do here yeah distribute knock down shots lock up uh be a leader and like all those things and so thank you because you got you showed me something like oh i don't gotta be the man right so <laughs> right. you know nah, I, I don't have to be like you. the 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 man i'm gonna be the man at what i do yeah and i, I always pride myself on that and so but i saw that in you thought in uh farmer when he came in and so um thank you yeah no nah, bro i appreciate that. you yeah. saying that man i like i just always felt like the man was the one that won the most Mm. (laughs) and he could do this yeah so it's like you could say whatever you want to say but you know it's like okay the tail of the tape right Right. like yeah okay you're this you're this okay this 
But if I end up winning the fight, right. like, who cares about all your stats and your reach and your this and that? Like, I won the fight. I'm the champ. So. <laughs> ding, ding. All right. Uh, we're going to get to this next segment. My Rushmore, okay? Your Mount Rushmore, your top four current point guards. Mm. Do we want to say combo guards? Which way do you want to go with this? Yes, that's a good question. I feel like there are very few. You almost it's hard to be a traditional point guard in the league today because if you can't, if you're an effective scorer from your position as a guard, you're you're almost hurting the team. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, whether it's combo guard, hybrid, hybrid guard, guard, you know, you know, we've talked about some of that. We could do top four hybrid guards. Yeah. I think there's enough now. You know, I think there were only a few, but now there's enough. Who fit that category yeah and if somebody who steps out we can we can adjust it so who's your top four in the nba today yeah i mean and i'm like hybrid guards i'm thinking of guys that are not like for example paul george plays very much like a guard even but his height and his length and it, like those things he's I'm, a shooting guard ish yeah i wouldn't Ooh, qualify yeah but he does a lot of guard things right there there are jason tatum the, like as a does. primary ball handler, like so, you could consider those guys hybrid guards. But I'm thinking of the I'm smaller thinking, guys yes. that tr- historically would probably be boxed into being point guards yes. just due to their size, right? So yeah. Steph Curry, for example, um, Donovan Mitchell, mm-hmm. you know, for example, comes to mind. I mean, I think De'Aaron Fox has kind of yeah. put his vote into, you know, into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Jamal Murray has put himself into the conversation. Um, so, I mean, those four guys come to mind off top. I think Kyrie, for sure, once he crosses, and this is just for me, once he gets back to a point where he's just consistently playing 60 to 65 games mm-hmm. per season, then he goes back into that yes. conversation. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be, which I think they changed the individual awards yes. like you got to play a certain amount of games to, to get those votes but those are guys that come to mind uh in terms yeah. of steph donovan mitchell jamal murray De'Aaron fox um i think other guys that are starting to knock on the door we got to pay attention oh, to no, let me get my four first you might say one of my four okay yeah yeah then we get to the uh subs yep <laughs> for our like it. all right so i got curry yeah I think he is the epitome of a hybrid guard. I got Dame. Yep. I got Dame in there. Um, I, Dame's interesting. Dealing with injuries or not having, you know, the firepower to get through certain mm-hmm. levels of the playoffs, and so I watch like I watch almost all of his games though. Yeah. And his the abilities yep. that he has. So yeah, no, he, he counts. Dame. I I have De'Aaron Fox in there mm-hmm. now. His ability to get to his spots, knock it down, and make his teammates better. His speed, uh, the way he plays the game is very, you know, I'm going to say today. Like, so he is definitely, I think he's the future as yeah. well. Like, he's coming in behind these, you know, the Dame and the Steph. And yeah. He's going to be the future of what the hybrid guard looks like. And, man, Jamal Murray is a good one. It's just tough because of the injuries over two years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell's an interesting one too. I'm gonna let me ruffle feathers. I'm gonna say Trey Young. Okay. I'm putting Trey Young in there. You can see. How about this? I got insight 
when the coaching switch happened, mm-hmm. that Trey's game has been hindered because of that, how he was playing before. And you could mm-hmm. see it in the numbers. You could see it almost in his personality and attitude, too. We had a lot of Trey Young hype, you know, the ice mm-hmm. go, hidden shots, and um, his numbers over, you know, he still averaged, you know, 20, 25 plus points, 10 plus assists. But you can see the the difference in his game. In the right system, Trey Young to me is arguably one of the best guards in the league. Mm-hmm. I'm saying top two. Like I'm talking about either him or Curry, in my opinion, because he can pass it just as well as he can shoot it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a uh it's not not a lot of people can do that. So those are my four. Yeah. I got in there. So who yeah. else you got nah, that's your that's your list, bro. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Um I mean I think Jalen Brunson is an interesting, you know, like if the Knicks can continue to trend in the direction of, you know, some like playoff experience knocking on the door and, and he consistently does what he's doing. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily make him better than those other guys that, that you mentioned or I mentioned, but he, he definitely, as a guy at six one six two, yeah. um, just finds ways to impact the game. The way he plays off of two feet in the paint yeah. is incredible. After watching him for this full season, really paying attention to his game, I started implementing that into yeah. all my development. I think more, I'm yeah, like, more players should be playing off of two feet the for sure. Hakeem footwork as a guard, and he will kill you yeah. if you let him get in that paint. Don't let him in there. He, yeah. he knows how to, you know, he has all the footwork. And so I've, I've really grown to respect his game yeah. last year. He's, nah, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, there are always guys, you know, like I said, I, I overlooked Dame, not because, like, Dame is not one of the best. Like, it just right. – but certain guys come to mind first, and mm-hmm. you go with those guys. And um, But I, I think that's a pretty good list. I mean, there are other guys we could obviously throw in. Trey Young's a good a good add. Um, John Morant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. from a basketball perspective, we straight yeah. hoop like. No, that's the, real. He's so. What, what scares me about John Morant is this on court. We're talking about all on court stuff here. Is the way he lands after he dunks. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot of Derrick Rose. Mm-hmm. And Derrick Rose tore them knees up with the way he landed after jumping that high. Mm-hmm. Um, There's one point where I had a 45 inch vertical. So there was one point. There was one point. It's not there anymore. It's about 25 now, but I can still dunk it. 45-inch vertical, and I would uh, jump to dunk, and it was scary to land. Because mm. I was like, man, how am I getting this high? I literally stopped working out. Yeah. Um, uh, did you ever work out over at 360? 360. Up in yeah, a little bit. A little like bit. more on the court, not Okay, not no, okay. Yeah. I'll say uh, there's a, a performance trainer there, Steve Campbell. And so he worked yeah, with like Nick Young, Reggie, all up. So he worked with all of them. So I was doing his workout. Yeah. So my bounce was crazy. And I was like, man, this is way too high. Because I really didn't know when I was going to land. And I imagine that's what John Morant feels like. Mm. <laughs> Jumping that high. And, John, if you see this, land on two feet, man. <laughs> that's all I want to tell you. So you can save them knees. Yeah. His ability is ridiculous. I just, you see how Derrick Rose just had this peak. Mm-hmm. Boom! Injuries, 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 and you just that athleticism has to be protected, right? I think there's a there's a way to use it 
with wisdom and still be electric and still do amazing stuff. And I think a lot of it has to do with the way you land. And so, um, there you go, Ja. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think Ja. Um, anything else you want to uh, let the people talk, uh, let the people know? Um, anything you have going on? I know um, recently you went to the NBA Combine and mm-hmm. you know spent some time with the kids who are up and coming in the NBA. Um, what did you see there? Any advice for them? And uh, anything for the people? Yeah, no, I mean, I, the experience at the Combine was great. Um, I mean, I think the game is, from a talent perspective, the game of basketball is in a really good place. Um, I think the harder job is going to be for those of us that are coaching and teaching the game. Mm. There's no shortage of talent, um, but how are we going to help them? Similar to even what you said about John Morant, or you know, how are we going to help the individual player to to refine and hone and narrow down? what types of skills and abilities um, are going to allow them to best pursue their dreams and and passions. Um, Everybody can't be a master of everything. Even Even the great players that have all the skills, like they weren't that way in the eighth grade. You know, they weren't that way as juniors in high school. Like those are things that come over time Uh, And even if you are fortunate enough to make it to the professional level, you're still going to have to add, you know, different um, skills and and refinement uh, situations to your game. So, um, so yeah, at the combine, again, there was no shortage of talent. Um, You know, I just, I I think we're all in a rush to get the most out of the talent now. And I, I do believe a lot of young players are kind of being, either thrown to the side or left out. And this is boys and girls, men and women, if they aren't elite now, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Then we just kind of like, ah, oh, well, not good enough to be on this team now. Right. So, you know, good luck. You know, when you come back, hopefully you'll be good enough. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think there's less pride and investment being taken in the players that, and this, I relate to that because that was me, right? Like the player that doesn't meet all of the criteria for what a NBA player is supposed to look like. Right. You know, wingspan, height, you know, vertical jump, <laughs> this or that, power five school, all these things that we, you know, we try to check these boxes on to like give us this idea that he's ready for the NBA. Um, so... Yeah, I would just say to everybody, like I said to the guys at the Combine, um, and I try to tell young people all the time, like everybody's journey is different. Our timelines are different. Um, And you just have to have a level of faith and belief in yourself that transcends what everybody else is trying to say or do, you know, or the box that everybody else is trying to put you in. Uh, because your time is your time. Um, you know, you spoke with Damian Lillard, you went through Weber State. Like, right. nobody mm-hmm. knew who Dame was in college. Nobody knew who Weber State was until Dame came from Yeah. Like, <laughs> Almost, it, it, like you know, um, Steph Curry went to Davidson. Right. Nikola Jokic, back-to-back MVPs in the <laughs> NBA, was the 41st pick in the draft. You know, and now you have 
kids going back to school if they're not going to be in the first round. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like, literally the dude that has been the best player in the NBA for the last three or four years was the 41st Giannis too. pick in the – yes, Giannis. Giannis. Yep. Um, Man. You know, I think of Manu Ginobili. I think of Tony Parker. I think of yeah, guys yeah. that were late picks, Draymond Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I just try to remind people that everybody's journey is different. And, and don't allow yourself to, you know, be defined by where others see you today. Yeah. You know, where you see yourself is more important than what other people think. Um, and, and I think that's an important point for people trying to make it to the NBA, WNBA, but also the middle schoolers and high schoolers and yes, people that, that we're working with on a daily basis. Like, I'm worried about whether he starts or she starts as a freshman on varsity. That's not your journey. That's, that's their journey. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just stay focused on what you have going on. And by the time you leave this school, not where you are day one, by the time you leave this school, everything's going to be fine. Right. <laughs> yes. You heard it from the champ. Okay. <laughs> Listen, that's that, um, the perseverance, the vision, and the faith. Uh, I believe you can do anything with those things. Yeah. So you're you're a testament to that. Um, thank you for blessing us today. On no, the I appreciate show. you having me. We're gonna have you back. I, we didn't yeah. get to we didn't get to enough. Nah, today, it's, but... it's not enough tape. It's not enough tape. <laughs> not enough tape. So we go, we're gonna get back <laughs> at it. Appreciate you, yes, for sir. Coming, brother. Good to see you, bro. All right, guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Peace.